I am more effective when I fully take the reins of my schedule and say no to things that I cannot do, that I cannot fit on my plate. Because at the end of the day, you might feel like if I do it all, I'll get the promotion or I'll be seen as a leader or I'll get to where I'm supposed to be in my career. But it's quite the opposite. Grown Girls, welcome back to the Girl We Grow Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I have a really amazing guest for you all today. So I am so obsessed with this episode. Today, I'm having Melissa Blackmore on the podcast. Melissa is a career strategist and program manager. She has worked with hundreds of professionals to help them reach their career goals. She has worked in healthcare, tech, operations, analytics, and for startups across the world. She has so much experience and so much expertise, and she is really passionate about helping women find career fulfillment. So I had to have her on the podcast because what she does is really aligned with what this podcast is about, with finding fulfillment in our careers and in our life. Melissa dropped so much knowledge and I learned so much from her in this episode. This episode is going to be really important if you are in the space of really wanting to elevate your career or if you are at a point of thinking about pivoting and making a career change, this episode is definitely for you. We go into how we can stand out in job interviews and negotiate our salaries, how to ace your performance review with your manager so that you can get the job promotion or that raise that you deserve. We even talk about how you can go about asking for a raise outside of doing that in your performance review. And Melissa also gave some tips on how to one, figure out if we are burnt out. And then also she provided some tips on things that we can do to combat burnout. And we all know that burnout is such a thing, especially now. We also talk about how we can better manage our time to be more effective at work and to also just help us prevent that burnout. We literally talk about everything that you could think of and that you could want to talk about in a career episode. So that is why I'm so obsessed with it. You are definitely going to want to listen to the full episode and also make sure you share it with a friend who you know is also trying to elevate their career. Before we get into this interview, I would love for you all to take 30 seconds to scroll down and give my podcast a five-star rating if you feel like I am providing you value with these episodes. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the interview with Melissa. I love to start with an icebreaker and I like to ask all of my guests what's the best life advice they've ever received that they still use today? Oh, okay. I know. (laughs) The attitude you give is the attitude you're going to get back or the mentality you give is what you're going to get back. So whatever you you put out into the world is what you're going to get back. So if I come into this podcast today and I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm psyched. I'm so excited. It's probably going to be great. And it's probably going to go really well. But if I came in and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. This sucks. I don't want to be here. Then it probably is going to suck. And I think that that's the same thing with like anything in life. If you're going to an event, if you're you know going into a job interview, whatever it is, if you come in with the outlook of I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited for this opportunity. It's probably going to be exciting and it's probably going to be great. So I I think I would say that. I love that. It's To me, it just reminds me of the law of attraction. What you put out in the world is what you're going to give back. So it's like you said, if you go in with a great mentality, a positive attitude, it's going to be a lot better than if you go in the other way. So I love that. I think that's great. Okay. So can you tell us what led you to becoming a career strategist? And can you tell us what you do when you are a career strategist? Yeah. 
So throughout my career, I've always kind of mentored and coached people in different organizations and in the organizations that I've worked in. So my direct reports or people in different departments or friends or family. And it's something that's, that just comes really naturally to me. And I realized over time that I'm also really good at it. I'm good at giving advice, solving issues, and working with people to uncover their potential and figure out more effective and efficient ways to produce at work and to stand out at work. And for me, I also noticed a gap in the market. So I, I didn't see very many other female and female women of color career strategists or career coaches. And I also definitely, so I specialize in, in project management and I also definitely didn't see a lot of people who were women, women of color that taught about project management and in a fun and engaging way, right? There's tons of project management education and career education out there that's really, I think, stiff and dated and like we would say, uh, stale, pale and male. I don't know if I got that word right, but you know what I mean? Um, yes. And so I, I feel like we need I feel like the world needs a fresh perspective on career strategy and also on project management. And I love teaching people effective ways to run their projects and educating people on the importance of leveraging their transferable skills and just explaining to people all of the things that they can do to, to really grow and to progress their careers, especially as women. And I'm also really passionate about just all of the issues and things surrounding women in the workplace. So things like imposter syndrome, which is really, really prevalent in many women, pay equity, being treated fairly in the workplace. And you know, I've gone through so many situations at work where I was paid unfairly or I was treated unfairly because I'm a woman in a male-dominated space. And so I think all of those things I'm really passionate about. And so I want to not only bring awareness to them, but also work closely with women on those things to help them really grow and become better in their careers and have more fulfilling careers. That's amazing. And I love that you yourself found something that you're passionate about because I do think when it comes to what we do for our careers, passion matters. I do understand mm -hmm. that sometimes we can't always go straight to our passion. We might have to work our way there, but it matters because we spend so much time working on our career. So I love that you found Agreed. that. Yeah. So I'm happy you mentioned pay equity because that leads me to my first question. So as women, should we be talking more about how much we make so that we can increase salary transparency? I do think salary transparency to a certain extent is important. I think it is important to talk about our salaries with other women, especially in your, your same industry. So as project managers, like for me, when I coach or when I work with my students or my mentees for specifically for like the project management niche, I'm transparent about what I made when I started out and what I make now and what I made all the way in between. Because I think people need to understand what, what is the potential? Like, what could I be making because you don't know what you don't know and you can't leave yourself at the mercy of a corporation or of your manager or somebody who really doesn't have your best interests in mind. So I think it's important to share salaries among people who are of similar industries and things like that. I do think that there's pros and cons, however, and you know, this might be a little controversial, but I think while pay transparency brings more equitable pay and levels the playing field, it can also result in pay that is more flatter and less performance based. So think of it this way. If you're a really high performer and you go out of your way to really like take on extra responsibilities and to get all these certifications and to like continuously learn and grow and really thrive in your role. And then time comes around to get a performance increase and you get the same performance increase as someone else because they're trying to really level the playing field and they're trying to be transparent about salary and, and have kind of equal pay, it's going to feel, I mean, you know, from my perspective, I would imagine most people would agree with this. It's probably 
not going to feel great to know that you did all of this extra stuff and this person is still making the same as you. And so I think it's just something, you know, it could cause feelings of resentment. It could cause feelings of disappointment for some employees. And so while I do think it's important to speak about it, like in general with people in your industry, I think when you compare yourself with people in your organization, it's important to consider that there might be other reasons someone is making a little bit more than you. So I think that's my kind of opinion on that. And again, it might be a little bit controversial because I I get that if you're you have the same job title, you should be paid the same. But I think that there's nuances. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you mentioned it because that didn't cross my mind that it could keep pay relatively flat. And it is going to build resentment for someone who busts their butt and goes the extra mile because they want that promotion. If mm-hmm you know, where our pay is going to be equal to someone who kind of does the bare minimum. So that makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to actually talking to the people in your similar industries, do you recommend like at your company or trying to find people in your industry, like outside of where you actually work? Or does that even matter? It's that's a really tough question to answer, because I've gone through a similar situation where I was at an organization and there was a man. So I, I was an analyst and there was a man who was brought in and they paid him almost triple what I was making. And Wait, did how he, did you find out? So I he told me. And that's because I became really close with him and I was training him because I knew everything. And I I told him, I was like, like I'm leaving soon because, you know, I'm making like really low pay for what I'm doing. And I, I looked at, you know, market comp comparable data, salary data. And he was like, oh, they're paying me really well. Like, what are you making? And then we shared our pay and I was devastated, but I knew I was making the right decision because I was already planning to leave. And when I found out what he was making, I went to my boss and then I went above her as well to say like, hey, I know how much he's making. I, you know, I told them that I, I found something on the copier. This was back, you know, when I was in person and Wee's paper. But yeah, he he told me. And so in that situation, like that really solidified my belief that I was making the right decision to leave. Because even after I told them I found that out, they still didn't want to pay me. In fact, my chief operating officer told me, that's a nice little salary for you. You don't have kids or anything. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that is for a me, wild thing to say. The hatch- was that years ago? Because I can't imagine oh, yeah. saying that recently. Okay. Over a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I'm sure it's still ha- like. So I want to say you should share your salaries among your coworkers. I think it is important to have that transparency because for me, you know, looking back in that situation and looking at from that perspective, if he wouldn't have told me that, who knows what would have happened, you know, if I would have stayed. That also helped me set the tone for what I was going to ask for at my next organization. So I think it's important. I, I do think it's important. But I do think, again, there are kind of those nuances that you do need to kind of consider with, sorry, your question was um, sharing within your organization. Yeah, I think so. I think share within your organization and then also network with other people in the industry because I think it, it can kind of give you a good indicator of kind of both, like what's going out on there out in the world and what's going on in my company in terms of pay. That makes sense. So one thing that I do love, so I work for a California-based company. So now in California, they have that I guess it's a law, but it's salary transparency. So on job postings, they have to have the salary somewhere on the posting. So that is nice. So if you are working at a company and you see, say, one of your coworkers leaves and then Mm -hmm. they post the job, you're going to know what the range is and you're going to know whether you're within range. So I do hope other states take that on because I think that is really important. Yeah, agreed. 100% agreed with that. That That's super important also because when you apply for a job, you don't want to waste your time going through the interview process if you have no idea what the pay is going to really look like. So yeah, agreed. 
What are some tips you can give us on how we can effectively ask for a raise? Yeah. So you have to have a plan. You have to go in with a plan. Like I think the big mistake I see a lot of people make is they'll come and especially for me with having direct reports, the biggest mistake I see my direct reports make and also people I coach is they'll go to their boss and they'll just ask like, hey, I kind of want to make this much or I'm thinking like I need a raise or they give personal reasons. You cannot go in and just have a meeting and ask for a raise. You need to put together some sort of documentation. So what I like to call your business case on that business case, you need to have your impact. Like what have you gone above and beyond on and within the organization? What have you delivered? Add metrics. So, um, you know, maybe I worked on 10 projects with 100% success rate, 110% of increase in revenue or whatever it is specific to your industry making sure you have that on paper. And then also adding like, a, I like to add a snapshot from Glassdoor or salary.com with the market value of someone in your position and circling like the median or circling around where you're looking to land on that. So bringing that kind of that data from sources like salary.com or Glassdoor is also really important. So I like to do your impact, specific metrics, the market value info, and then what you want. So go in with a specific number. Don't just say, you know, I, I was thinking maybe I can get a raise. Like how much do you want? What do you want? And always ask for more. So for me, I've gotten over seven maybe raises within probably more than that within my career. And I always go in with a document and a number that's much, 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 much higher than I really want. And then, you know, they'll probably either they could tell you no, or they can try to negotiate with you or they'll give you what you want. And that leads me to my second thing, which is don't ask just once and feel discouraged. I've been in situations where I've asked for maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollar raises and I've been laughed at. Like my boss will like laugh in my face, like, <laughs> who do you think you are? Like coming to ask me for a thirty thousand dollar raise. Yeah. And I'll say, Okay, completely understand. Follow up with an email. Hey, this was based on our conversation, just recapping. Here's the document I presented to you. And if they say no or they whatever it is ask again, wait a month, ask again. Persistence always wins. And you have to do it in a way that's tactful, that's professional, and that shows that you know what you're doing when you're presenting this. And also, you know your value. If you know your value and you're confident about that and you portray that confidence in your presentation, in your raise proposal, no one can say anything to you. Like it can't be a, I think a lot of people feel like scared that they're going to get like in trouble or they're going to get fired. No, you're not. Those things are not going to happen if you go in confident and prepared. I love the snippet from Glassdoor that you mentioned. I would have never thought about that. So when you say that you go in and you ask for much more, is it still within range of the snippet or like how do you work that? Yeah. So I, I typically ask for the higher end of whatever's on the range. And it's, you know, it's hard to say in general because every job is so different. Like every career path, every, every, um, every role is so different. I typically like to go on the higher end of the range, but still stay within the range because the ranges are typically so large. You are exactly right with persistence. It does win. So just mm -hmm. even thinking like as a kid, I was super persistent with asking my parents for things. And after like a few asks, I would always get it all the time. So you're absolutely right on that. You just yeah. have to wear people down sometimes. But as you said, uh -huh. in a tactful way, how can we tell the difference between if we are just feeling tired or if we are experiencing burnout? Because I feel like burnout is kind of like a hot word these days. Yeah. But yeah. I know for myself, I don't always know, like, am I just tired because I'm doing too much? Or am I actually mm -hmm. burnt out? Yeah. So burnout comes with other emotions. So burnout comes with resentment, 
comes with withdrawal. It comes with feelings of not really being impactful, feeling like your work is not making a difference, maybe um, having like a lack of care. Maybe before you were really driven to complete a report, but now you're just like, I don't really care if it's done or not. So burnout comes with those other really negative feelings and burnout lasts a long time. Being tired, if you take a weekend off to rest, you take a night off to rest, you get some really good sleep and you eat some really healthy food and you go for a walk, you get a little exercise, a couple days you'll probably not feel tired anymore. But burnout is very lingering. It lingers and it could stay there for weeks or months or years. Hopefully, if you're burnt out, you're not letting it go that long. Please don't do that to yourself. But it is more long term. And being tired is something that can really just be fixed. You'll know like, I'm tired today and I'm not really tired tomorrow. And tomorrow I feel like a little bit better. That's being tired. Burnout comes with all of those like resentful feelings and it lasts a lot longer. Oh, okay. So if you discover that you are burnt out, do you have any tips on how how we can overcome that. So working with someone you really trust, like a mentor, your therapist, a career strategist or career coach that can help you pick apart what specifically is burning you out, which areas of your life are no longer serving you, which areas of your life can be improved. Maybe you're ready to move on from your job and helping you like pick that apart and understand which part of your job do you really love so you can carry that with you in your next adventure or which parts of your job do you really hate. And working with someone to help you zoom out and figure out where can we move some pieces around, shuffle some things around and do some changes, make some changes and maybe habit changes. You know, it could be anything. That's why I say it could be a therapist. It could be anybody because you just, you want to make sure that you're digging into like what specifically is causing burnout because the scope of what could cause burnout is so large. It could be could be work. It could be home life. It could be, you know, anything. Um, And so being able to like sit down and really like journaling also really helps because journaling helps you really look inward. And sometimes we have conversations with ourselves in our heads and then we forget it. But if you write everything down over a course of a week, you'll piece things together. And so I think that just really doing mindful work with someone and also within yourself is really key because you need to get to the core of it and then solve it from there. Yeah. And I love that you said that because it's just taking the time to analyze and root cause what you're feeling instead of just Mm -hmm. going and going and going. I think a lot of times we just keep going on autopilot. And like you said, sometimes people do end up being burnt out for years, which we hopefully they can avoid, but I can see how that can happen though. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about time management. I do feel like companies are trying to get more done with less people. So that is leaving employees with a lot of work at the same pay. What tips would you give us to help prioritize and just effectively manage our time? So the biggest issue that I see with clients I work with is a lack of taking control of your own schedule and understanding that you have the authority to decline meetings that you don't need to be at, that is not important to you, that you're not contributing to. You can move your calendar around. You can block your lunch out. You can block out 15 minutes to go for a walk. You can say no. If you have so much on your plate that you cannot take on more tasks, you can tell your manager, hey, these are the five things I'm working on right now. I have time to finish all four by end of week. I won't have time for this fifth item. I'm going to push it to next month or next week. Are you okay with that? Or which items would you like, four items would you like me to prioritize? It's okay to say that. And what people don't realize is the most effective people, they are doing that. 
they're not doing all five things and risking quality of these things and also risking getting exhausted and burnt out. They're taking control of their schedules and they're saying no to things that they cannot fit in their schedules. And that way, if they need to make it home for for a dinner or a birthday or something like that, they're going to do that. And so that's something that I've learned throughout my career is that I am more effective when I fully take the reins of my schedule and say no to things that I cannot do, that I cannot fit on my plate. Because at the end of the day, you might feel like if I do it all, I'll get the promotion or I'll be seen as a leader or I'll get to where I'm supposed to be in my career, but it's quite the opposite. So that is number one. The second thing that's really, really key, really key is to be like this with your boss or your manager. Update them on a weekly or biweekly basis about everything that you're working on, your tasks, your projects, the impact of those things, the questions you have, your schedule. Like I said, if you have too much on your plate, let your boss know you're going to reprioritize things and get their input on what's most important. That's what I would say is key. And then there's also little things like using tools like maybe Notion or your calendar or a planner as well. I like the way that you framed how we can just or we should be going to our boss and be like, hey, I'm working on X, Y, and Z. I think when you do go to your boss and you're like, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm going to get to you next week or next month. Or you ask them for that help to prioritize. I think that one shows, okay, like she does have a lot on her plate versus just going to your boss and being like, this is too much. I think like you said, like giving them exactly what you're working on and what you can do and being firm about it. One, it shows you're on top of your stuff. And two, Mm -hmm. I feel like it helps you build even more rapport and trust with your boss. So I think exactly that. You're right. And thank you for saying that. It's really important to offer solutions instead of saying, hey, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. It's the fact that you can say, hey, these are the four things I'm working on. Are you good with that? I can't finish number five, but I can do that next week. Is that okay? Or should we shift some things around? You're absolutely right. I love that. Okay. So when can we tell that it's time for us to leave our current company? I think that this is a really personal thing. Like if there's something that you know you cannot deal with any longer, you'll know that. And if it's something that's not fixable, because you should try to fix a situation. But if it's something that is like, you know, you can't take any more of it, like maybe it's company culture, maybe the culture is just really bad. And you're being harassed by a boss or people are just really not nice. And company culture, you can't change that. And if that's really bothering you, it's probably time to go. So if there's something that is really big, that is not fixable, that is like, you know, you cannot live with, then definitely time to go. My other kind of like rule of thumb is this is more general, but there isn't something you can pinpoint. You're like, I want to leave, but I'm not really sure. And you don't have like a hundred percent, like a reason why ask yourself this, am I learning and am I earning? So learning means, are you learning new valuable skills that you're going to be able to take with you to your next journey, to your next adventure? Maybe if you want to be a project manager, are you learning project management skills? If you are, that's great. You know, you can stay if that situation serves you and continue to learn and get as much as you can. If you're not learning, are you earning? Are you making a substantial salary that's helping you clear debt, make investments and live comfortably, right? And so if you're doing one or the other, then it's a decent situation. Your goal should be to do both at every point in your career, but that's not always possible, especially early on in your career. You're going to do more learning than you are going to be doing earning. But if you are learning and or you're earning, then fairly good situation. If you're doing neither of those things, and there's a lot of people out there who are doing neither of those things, then it's time to go. Or it's time to ask for a promotion or ask for a raise or fix your situation. But if you're not learning, you're not earning, and you just feel like it's a situation where maybe your manager undermines you, isn't supporting your growth, maybe you're mentally drained and just company culture feels awful, and you've worked on addressing the issues and it's not getting fixed, I would say it's time to go. When does 
learning Trump, making more money. Because I feel like you can be at a place where you're learning and say there's just not opportunity for growth, but you are learning a lot. Mm-hmm. But if we think about what a typical merit increase is going to be, that's like what, three to six percent. Yeah. So it's like over time, it's kind of like, wow, you're not really making, you're really not increasing with that if we consider inflation every year. So like when would learning Trump making more money? I guess it depends on like where you are in your career. So if you're more mid-level and you know you can go somewhere else and continue to learn and earn, like you should leave. If you're more junior in your career and you know it's going to be a little bit tricky to get another job because you don't really 100% have all of the skills that you need to like get that next job, it's really strategic because you're really trying to figure out, will I be able to easily get the job that I want next? Or will I go like this? If you flatline, or if you take a role that's very similar, it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. I think like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to mm-hmm. say, I agree with you because I was someone who I would say I was a job hopper. My mm-hmm. dad used to always be like, you need to stay at a job for X amount of time. You just switch jobs way too much. I think <laughs> it was because I wasn't really learning. You know, I was yeah. very mundane job. So it's like after a year, I felt like, okay, is there more? And I just wasn't under someone who could be that mentor for me, which I think mm-hmm. was like a huge thing. So I would just make these lateral moves and it's like when you do that you kind of do miss out on the earning part yeah yeah 100 percent. you're right having a, a manager that really supports your growth is so important and i think there's so many organizations where you can find a manager that really supports your growth or someone within the organization that supports your growth and if you're at an organization where you don't have that person and you've tried to find that person and it just isn't working i would move on and job hopping isn't a bad thing i think especially the older generation they have this stigma around job hopping. And I read this study the other day and it talked about how millennial hiring managers don't care if you job hop. They actually see it as like more diverse experience and kind of see it as a positive thing. But the older generations see it as a negative thing. And I think millennials and the generations after us, we're putting ourselves first. We're saying, if this situation, I'm not happy with it and it doesn't serve me, I'm going to move on. And also, quite frankly, the biggest pay increases you'll get are when you're moving jobs. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with job hopping, in my opinion. I love that you mentioned that. It definitely is a very different way of thinking from past generations. But I will also echo that like my boss now is a millennial boss and she definitely didn't care about my multiple jobs. But she also is probably the best mentor I've had as a boss because I'm learning so much under her. And I can honestly say probably more than I've learned in the seven years I've worked at other companies. So to me, that's that's just- That's a blessing. It is amazing. Yeah. So for anyone who's out there, it can happen. You can get that boss who can be a really great mentor and really just teach you so much. Let's talk about interviewing. So I can't say I love to interview, but I love to prepare and talk about interviewing, which is so weird. But let's get into (laughs) it. With the job market being so challenging right now, what are some things that we can do to stand out in the interviewing process? Yeah, so you definitely need to be doing things that other people are not doing. So I have my students submit work samples. So maybe like a project plan sample or your portfolio, kind of like an outline of all of the amazing things you've done in your career that is a little more prettier and done up, you know, in comparison to your resume, because your resume has that stuff, but like pull the impactful stuff out and put that in a document. That's, you know, something you can do to stand out. Asking really good questions, asking questions that really convey to the interviewer that you're really, truly interested in making an impact at the organization. Following up, I know people get intimidated at the thought of sending 
a second message or a third message to a recruiter or a hiring manager after they didn't get a response. But what people don't realize is these recruiters and hiring managers, they're busy. They get a thousand messages a day. And the people who are following up are at the top of the inbox. Like, who knows? You might have just gotten an interview because you followed up and someone else, they forgot their messages got buried and they forgot to respond to the other person. So it's important to remember, like, follow up, stay at the top of their inbox. It's okay to message three times in a row. I would say that's max. Don't do four times in a row, but three times in a row with from the last message. Getting the interview to like you, like that's really important. Like doing small talk before, asking questions about their role and their career progression and people hire people they like. It's just a fact. As a hiring manager, I've hired somebody that I liked and I've seen more potential in over somebody who checked all of the boxes. It's just the truth. So it's really important for you to remember that it's okay to talk to the interviewer like they're a human because they are a human and they may end up really liking you over someone else who has more experience. So really important to remember that and ask them questions about themselves. Another thing that I notice that happens when I do interviews is people get super nervous and they, this is primarily men though, so they talk over you. They will not let you get a word in during the interview. And yes, granted, you're asking them questions and you're letting them speak. But then when you try to piggyback on that or you try to add something, I've noticed some men, they just won't let you speak. It's crazy to me, but that is like a big turnoff. Like that is a no-no. Nobody wants to hire somebody who doesn't let them get a word in. And I get those candidates all the time. So it's important to remember that just slow down. The interviewer's human. You're having a conversation. Think of it as a conversation. And I would say that's kind of some tips. I think those are really great tips. I love that you mentioned the follow-up because I think about in like personal life, we're like, oh my gosh, we can't double text. But yes, it's like what you said earlier, persistence can get you what you want a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So when people follow up, should they be waiting like a week in between or maybe like three, four days before they send the second email? Yeah. So if it's messages between you and a recruiter, I would say three days is okay. So like if, if you said, hi, I'm interested in this position, whatever, and they're like, okay, let's do a phone screening. I'll send you over sometimes. If three days has passed and they haven't responded or even two days, like those kind of casual messages, you can write back two, three days. If you did a phone screening or an interview and they're making a decision, then I would wait a week, a business week, and and then follow back up after that. Just that way it gives them some time if they're speaking with other interviewers. That makes sense. Okay, so what advice would you give to someone who's been applying for jobs and they've been getting the interviews, but they just haven't landed a job offer? Are there some things that they should be reevaluating? Yeah, so I think it's really important to make sure you have a plan. So if you're applying to a, a thousand jobs and you don't have a strategy behind it, you're gonna see a lot less traction than if you have a plan. And so your plan should consist of things like the different industries you're looking at, the different job titles, and then create a list of 50 companies and target those 50 companies hard. Don't just throw spaghetti at a wall and apply to people come to me. They're like, I've applied to 500 jobs. I'm like, that's where you're making a mistake. Focus on 50 companies. When you're looking at one of the jobs within that company, whatever the companies are, tweak your resume. However many days you need to spend on it, tweak your resume so it matches the job description and use tools like Teal or JobScan to make sure your resume is really tweaked and catered to the job because the ATS is crazy. Like you don't know what they put in the ATS, even if the the job description says- What's the ATS? So the ATS is the applicant tracking system. So the applicant tracking system scans your resume when you upload it. Not all companies use this, but many companies use ones like Bamboo HR and there's different kind of software systems. So when you apply for a job, what happens is your resume is not looked at by someone 
first, typically. It's scanned by the applicant tracking system to look for keywords that match whatever they've put into the requirements for the job. So the HR manager or the hiring manager will say, I want somebody who has DEI experience, they have project management experience, they live in Tampa, Florida, they've gone to this types of schools, something like that. And the ATS will only push through the resumes that meet those criteria. Wow. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of the system, but I've heard that we should use keywords that are in the job description. So Mm -hmm. I like that you put that together. Wow. Yeah. Very important. So I really like Teal HQ because what you can do is you upload your resume, you upload the job description, it tells you what percentage match it is. As long as you're getting like an 80% match, then you're good and spend time, you know, that way. But yes, the other thing is the applicant tracking system, you don't know what they put in there. The job description might not match what they put into the ATS either. Like there's so many nuances. So that's why I say go an extra layer and message the hiring manager or the recruiter or somebody from the company on LinkedIn with a beautiful message that explains you and your amazing impact as a professional, your connection with their mission, vision, value, and why you would be, you know, a great fit and propose a couple times that you're available to meet and attach your resume, attach the cover letter. And if you want to attach work samples, you can as well. Don't just limit yourself to to sending that to one person in the company, send it to multiple people in the company. So that way you're increasing your odds. And focus on 50 companies or focus on 25 companies or however many companies you can do, you know, whatever you have the capacity for. So that way your efforts are really focused and you're really looking at and pinpointing specific areas and things that you can do to get into one of these companies, as opposed to just kind of willy-nilly like uploading your resume to 500 different jobs. That's going to be a lot less effective than just focusing on 50 companies or 50 jobs and figuring out different ways to get in to get an interview. I like that. And I think also forcing yourself to focus on a smaller subset of companies, you're also forcing yourself to be like, what am I really looking for out of the company? And like, what Mm -hmm. do I really want to do? Because it's so easy to go on LinkedIn or Indeed and just apply for all these jobs. And like, like you said, just hope something sticks. But I like that. And I've never thought about messaging someone who works at the company on LinkedIn. So I think that's really, really something that will help you stand out because I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, that's one of the things I teach in my program is like how to do that like really effectively to get a response. I think that is great. But I did hear you mention a cover letter. And I was thinking if I should ask you about this because I've always honestly, I've never done them. And I've always wondered if they actually help set you apart. There's so much on TikTok and stuff. There's like so many mixed messages about this. And I so I think it really depends on who is getting your application like who who's going to read it most hiring managers they're not going to go read through the entire cover letter they're going to read your resume and then call you in for an interview but what i like to do is i like to make sure if i'm communicating with like a person i attach the cover letter i have my clients attach the cover letter so it's like think of it this way if you're uploading your resume onto a job board you don't really need to do a crazy cover letter but if it's going into the hands of somebody I would make sure it's a good cover letter. I also think, you know, if you're serious about your job search and you want to stand out, you should be submitting cover letters like across the board. So I kind of just conflicted myself, but I think it's important. And I, I do think... Again, there's so much information on TikTok. Everybody's saying like cover letters are so out of date. It's old school. It's like useless. No one's reading them. But I think if you're really trying to stand out, write a cover letter. And also there's ChatGPT. There's all of these tools now that like 
you can write a cover letter in less than five minutes. So I don't know. I just don't think that there's an excuse not to submit one. I think it's important. That is so true. I wish that chat GPT was around when I was job searching because that would have been so helpful for a cover letter. Oh my my gosh. So what questions should we ask our interviewer to get a true take on how the company culture is? So I asked this because there was a past company, not my current one, but a past company that I worked for. And I felt like I was asking the right questions to get a good fit. And I feel like they totally lied to me. And I just did not get a good sense because it was a horrible company culture. So I don't know if there's any tips you can give for us to really find out the truth. Yeah. So you have to ask questions that are very specific and go much deeper than just surface level. So they can't give you cookie cutter answers. So I can give you a couple examples. Number one is how are the company's core values of whatever their core values are put into place in day-to-day operations and within your team? There's no easy way out of that, right? They have to give you an answer. And if they start to fumble or they can't give you an answer, then you know they're not living their own company values. Another one is how does the company promote work-life balance and support employee well-being? And if that person has like a really well thought out answer, it probably means the company truly does promote work-life balance for employee well-being. But a company that doesn't support those things, it's going to be difficult to answer that question. And another one that's specifically around DEI, which is really important for me when I look at organizations that I align myself with is, can you tell me about the company's approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion and any initiatives or programs that you have put in place to promote a diverse and inclusive workplace? And I think that can be also really telling as well. I love all three of those questions. And you're right. When you are very specific and they have to get like they can't give a basic cookie cutter answer, you will get mm-hmm. it. And even if they're saying something, their body language, like if we watched the yeah. body language, it could tell us a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah, 100% agreed. So what are your top three tips on how we can go about negotiating a salary after we land a job offer? So the first thing that's very important is to do your research. So figure out what the market value is, what the range is, where you fit on that range. When you negotiate, make sure you're talking about the value that you're going to bring to the organization. It's really important to like not just say this is the amount I want, but what is the why? Like, why should we give you that? Talk about the value you plan to bring to the organization and use that as your reason for wanting a higher compensation. Also, make sure you have a specific number in mind and always go higher than what you actually are willing to take because it's very common that they're going to negotiate down. And then also, this is something that I think a lot of people forget, but you can be really creative about how you get that compensation if they don't want to give you a higher salary. And this is from real world experience. How I typically negotiate my salary is if the organization tells me I can't give you $200,000, but we can do XYZ amount, what you can say is totally understand. How about we do incremental salary increases based on performance? So after 30 days, I'll take a 5K increase if I hit, you know, whatever indicators or markers are performing well. After 60 days, I'll take this much. And then after 90 days, we'll do this much of an increase. You could do that. Or you could ask for a sign-on bonus. Or you could ask for childcare. I mean, the possibilities are endless when it comes to negotiating your compensation. And oftentimes, companies are very flexible about about um, how they can do that. Wow. I've never heard of someone asking for uh, like a 30, a 60, 90, just depending on you know the situation. But I would have never thought to ask for that. Like, Melissa, I don't think a lot of people know these things. I know. I know. 
I think especially women, I tell people that they're like, I don't think I can ask her that. Like, I feel like I'm asking for too much or I feel like they're going to rescind the offer. The thing is, is everybody needs to realize you working for an employer is a mutually beneficial arrangement. You are giving something, which is eight hours a day or more, and they are giving something, which they're paying you to work there, which quite often they're going to be making a lot more money off of whatever tasks you're doing than what they're paying you. So it's really important to look at it that way. Don't look at it as, oh, they're giving me a salary. Look at it as, no, I am giving them eight, nine, 10, however many hours of my day and my expertise and my knowledge to drive their organization forward. And in return, they're paying me for my time. As they should. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. the way that you frame that because that's so true. We Mm -hmm. do spend basically our whole week, majority of the time is at a workplace. So we should be getting paid what we're valued and we should feel good about that. So yeah. I love that. Okay. I feel like those are the hottest tips. So <laughs> I am excited about that one because yeah, I would have never thought of even using that to negotiate a salary. So that's mm-hmm. really great. So let's dive into how we can kill it in our performance review so that we can get that promotion or that raise. Mm-hmm. So I recently learned about the, I think it's called the success pie chart. But it stated that exposure is 60% and performance is only 10. So how can we get that exposure that we need if it's really that big of a slice of the pie when it comes to trying to work our way up in the company? So you have to play the corporate game. Like you just have to. Oh, it's so and, and hard. I, <laughs> I'll give you some some examples of things I've done in the past. So if you see your CEO walking by, you make small talk with them. How was your weekend? I love your shoes. How did the board meeting go? You speaking with these people because most people in companies, they're scared. They're like, oh, hi. And then, you know, you walk by because you're, you're intimidated, but they love being spoken to. They love having conversations with employees, especially in conversations that like you ask them about themselves or ask them about like whatever it is, right? They're humans too. So communicating in the break room or, you know, if you're virtual, hey, good morning. I hope you have a really great week. Or I love seeing the company email you sent out that was so inspiring. I feel so motivated. And, you know, letting them know that you see what they're doing and you appreciate it and things like that. Like just small, small talk things and just trying to build like little relationships with people that are decision makers and that are important in, within the organization and with your own team. So people that are below you or people that are on the same team as you or people that report up to you, like being kind and making people feel seen. Because I think sometimes we don't even uh, ping someone else unless it's to ask for something, right? My big thing that I tell all my clients is if you're butting heads with your team or something, just start to ping them like, good morning. I hope you have a great day. They're going to think you need something. And then when you don't, you're like, no, I didn't need anything. I just was saying good morning. They're going to be like, wow, that was so nice of her, you know? So really playing that game and really like getting exposure and getting people to see you. Speaking up in meetings, that's super important. Even if it's just small talk at the beginning of the meeting at first, you know, slowly working up to being able to speak in meetings and being that person who is like, oh, great idea. I love that. Or no, I just, I respectfully disagree with that. This is how I would approach that, right? Being uh, vocal in meetings and being seen is really, it's very, very important. Also being really close with your manager. I cannot stress this enough. So many people miss the mark when it's like communicating with your manager and keeping them updated on what you're working on, your impact, your projects, staying close with them, getting their input on things. It's a part of managing up, honestly, also. It's gonna make them feel good about your work and what you're doing. And then when it comes time for you to work independently, they're gonna let you work independently because you have kept them consistently updated and they trust you to keep them consistently updated. You know, you could even also get input from other departments. So like if you really want to be in the IT department or something, like go over there and say, hey, I was working on this report. Like, 
can I get your input? Like, what do you think about this? Or I have a question about this and make people feel valuable. I like that you mentioned that if you're having like friction with someone, just start to ping them and not about asking them for anything. Like you said, we don't expect people just to ping us to be like, hey, how are you? That's so unexpected. So there was a woman in another department, me and her, we were having a little bit of friction. So my manager suggested that we just do like, we do coffee chats at work. So 15 minute coffee chats, like bi-weekly. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it helped. It changed our whole dynamic. And she's like, don't talk about work. You guys just (laughs) need to talk about like, whatever. Like if you guys both like reality TV, like just yeah. talk about random things she's like it's only 15 minutes because at first i was like oh what are we going to talk about but yeah. it actually really helped build our relationship so i think that mm-hmm. is a like really helpful tip yeah so after we have our performance reviews and we have set goals for the next year with our manager how can we make sure that we are staying on top of actively working towards those goals during the year so that when the next performance review comes around we're not just getting meets goals like we're getting the exceeds Mm -hmm. so the trick with this is making sure the goals that you set for the year for your 30 60 90 day plan or you know whatever specifically it is from now to when you've set those goals to when you're going to get reviewed on those goals and your your performance bonus is reliant on that you need to make sure that you sit down with your manager and you are clear on exactly what the goals are that he or she wants you to accomplish for your 90 days or whatever it is, and how is it going to be measured? So a lot of people, their 30, 60, 90 day plan is very vague. It's not measurable. It can be left up to interpretation. And the mistake there is that your manager down the road can say, yeah, you know, you you met expectations or you you were right under, I can't remember, what, like you got a three instead of a five. And then you're left asking like, why? I don't understand, right? So it's really important to document those goals and send them to your manager. Like say your manager wants you to complete five projects and they have to be meeting 50% time or, you know, 50% of them can be delayed. 50% of them aren't delayed or something. I don't know, something like that. And then share that with your manager and your manager will like say update it or whatever. And if you have 10 of those bullet points that are very specific on what they want you to accomplish by the time your next performance review rolls around, there's not going to be any room for argument on whether or not you hit those goals. Your goals have to be specific. They have to be shared with your manager. And the second really important piece here is, again, I say, I've said this throughout this podcast, but having meetings, regular meetings with your manager and keeping them super updated on the inner workings of everything you're doing. And if you do mess up, bringing that to your manager ahead of time and saying, Hey, I messed up. I'm a little bit worried about this timeline delay. And it's because I, I missed the mark on this. Here's my proposed idea for getting us back to where we need to be. What are your thoughts on this? And they're not going to ding you for that because you're fessing up to whatever the mistake you made is and you're asking for their input on how to fix it and you're proposing a solution. So it's that consistent feedback loop. It's that consistent communication with your manager. And then it's also having very, very, very clear, measurable goals that you both align on. I think it's great that you mentioned having the clear, measurable goals, because I think you're right. A lot of times they can be vague. And even if we think about trying to create a smart goal, like that's Mm -hmm. one of those things that, like you said, it leaves a very little room for you to get to the end of the year and be like, wait, I thought I met this goal. Like, why are we not on the same page? And yeah, I think that's really great. So that might have kind of canceled out my next question, but I'm still going to ask just in case if you have other insight to give. But when you are having your performance review and you feel like you've exceeded your goals, but your manager puts you at meet 
goals, what is a tactful way to advocate for yourself to help your manager see that, no, look, I really have exceeded this goal? If your goals were not very clear from the beginning, then it is going to be a little bit difficult to figure out where that difference was, right? So I think what you can do is you can ask them, hey, how can I ensure for the next performance review, I'm clear on exactly how I can meet or exceed these goals that we have put in place. But again, it really comes back to having super measurable goals that no one can really argue with when it comes to delivery and and also staying close. Yeah, I I think my previous answer kind of answered that. But I do think asking them at that point, like, how do you think I can exceed these goals next time is important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how can we become more confident at work and get to a place where we actually feel comfortable offering up solutions or speaking up in a meeting, kind of just getting out of that imposter syndrome that I know you mentioned earlier that we can struggle with in the workplace. Start small. So for me, when I began my career, I thought I would always be the person that was behind a desk doing numbers or reporting or some sort of admin work. I had a paralysis of in meetings. Like if somebody asked me a question, I could not speak. I had extreme, extreme fear of speaking. It's very hard to believe that now. Like, it's actually me. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. I always thought about myself as I'm a behind the scenes worker. I am not somebody that's ever going to be presenting in meetings, which is crazy now because I've presented in front of CEOs of some of the biggest health groups in Tampa. I do workshops. I do speaking events. Now I have 60,000 followers on TikTok where I do educational videos. How I started was like very small, like saying good morning, sharing your ideas one-on-one with your manager first. It is way easier easier than doing it in a big forum in a meeting. So start small in those sort of ways. And eventually it will start to feel a lot less nerve wracking the more you do it. So you have to inch up to it. And the other thing that's really important, specifically when you're offering solutions and ideas is preparing. So making sure that you're like researching everything ahead of time, you put a a nice one pager together and you're really knowledgeable on the topic. The more information you have and the more prepared you are, the easier it's going to be to get through that conversation conversation. Very, very important to prepare. Another thing is getting feedback. So get feedback from your, maybe a colleague or your supervisor, your manager on the ideas that you have. Like don't go into it as here's my idea. Go into it as here's my idea. What are your thoughts on this? How can we improve this? And that's going to help it feel more collaborative and it's going to help it feel a lot easier to talk about. The other thing you have to remember is you're going to fail. Like there's going to be days when your ideas are not taken into consideration or someone doesn't like your ideas or you fumble for whatever reason. And you have to look at failure as a good thing, as a, I'm going to learn from this. Okay, great. I got a no or I had a bad day or whatever it was. It can only get better from there. It can only get better. You can only learn from that, right? And so learning to embrace failure is key in making sure that you're comfortable in offering solutions and ideas. And then also just believing in yourself confidence and believing in yourself and telling yourself, I'm going to do great. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be great. I'm going to knock this out of the park. Those self-affirming words and trust in your own ability, super important. Yes, I am huge on positive self-talk and just believing in yourself because that'll go a long way. Because if you can't believe in yourself, how are you ever going to believe that someone else can? So I think it definitely Mm -hmm. always starts with us. So I love that. Okay, so how can we build leadership skills if we do have aspirations of getting into management? 
management, but being in a manager role just isn't on the table right now for us. I struggled with it throughout my career because I was really young when I was ready to move up and to manage people, young and a woman of color. And I think that people, especially in certain organizations, they see managers a certain way and breaking through that barrier is really hard. And so what I found works really well is proving myself before getting that promotion, like proving myself to get that promotion. So volunteering to lead a project and and when you volunteer to lead that project, showing how well you can do that. So maybe you don't have people that are going to report directly to you for the project, but maybe you have to work with different departments to get different information and like CCing your manager on certain communications that you wrote really well to be able to bring people together. The things that make you a really good leader, making sure your manager and leadership are seeing you do those things and helping them see that vision for you is going to help them say, oh, she's already basically doing this. So we might as well get her the promotion, right? You have to create that version of yourself. You can't say, I really want to be a manager and then just be doing support work and like not approaching your job from a leadership perspective. There's an opportunity for leadership in every role that ever exists. Leadership is not based on a title. Leadership is a characteristic, in my opinion. And if you show that leadership throughout everything that you do and you do a good job and you start to focus on more like strategy instead of just getting your work done, that's going to be the best way to move up. But you also have to accept that some organizations, they may just not move you up. And if that's the case and you're ready to move up and you know you're ready, then, you know, another reason to move on. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that when you do want that leadership role, you do have to start focusing more on strategy versus the tactical work because that's true. Mm -hmm. And it's nice when you also have that manager who is that mentor that we talked about and you have that closeness, they'll be willing to bring you into opportunities to get that strategy level work. So I think that's a really good point to make. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of questions about if you want to switch your career. If you are realizing that you just don't like the field you are in, but you are not sure what else you want to do, how can we go about just figuring out what we might actually enjoy? Yeah, so it's really important to think about everything that you've done in the past. Think about all of your different careers or all of your different jobs. Think about school and think about what of those things that you've done and you have experience in, what are the things you're really, really good at? What are the things that you enjoy? And what are the things that match your personality? So what motivates you? What like lights you up inside? What's important to you? So for me, when I was doing support work and analyst work, I realized what I was really good at was organizing things, getting things done, like executing on things like putting a very nice plan together to get a big project done. And so and I started Googling like, what's a good career path for people who are organized? What's a good career path for people who like to create whatever? And that's how I found project management. So it's like doing a self-assessment, figuring out what are the things you're good at? What are the things in your, your past that you also love? And also accepting that in every season of your life and of your career, you may have a new interest because then you start to learn more about yourself or you may have a new passion or you may need you may want to switch career fields and that's okay i mean i went from being an enterprise program manager to now a business owner which is like completely different things it's really it's really (laughs) crazy that i made that shift so figuring out doing a self-assessment accepting that you may have different seasons of your life where you may learn and grow 
and learn more about yourself and grow. And that means you want to take a different path. And then doing lots of research, you know, watching YouTube videos and maybe talking to people in different fields to try to understand each field better. I get a lot of people who reach out to me on LinkedIn for like informational interviews to understand and learn about project management just from my perspective. And I think that that's a great way to to kind of do some discovery. I like that. And I do feel like now careers have changed, like with online and being able to have online businesses, things are so much more available. So I think it is a good point to make to really do your self-assessment, find out what you like in your current role. Yeah. And then, like you said, Google it. And as mm-hmm. we know, Google has a lot of answers out yeah. there. So I like that you just Googled it. So how can we leverage or how can we go about leveraging our previous work experience to change your career path? It sounds like that's something that you've already done. So just from like mm-hmm. your perspective, like, what did you do to leverage that to get into project management? Yeah. So identifying and understanding your transferable skills is key. And I teach this in detail in my program, the Project Management Career Blueprint. So we take people who have prior, just any prior work experience, and we dig out all of their transferable project management skills. And then we try to figure out like how can we leverage what they've already done to move them in the direction of where they want to be? So if you're in supply chain and you want to move into project management, take the industry you already have experience in, which is supply chain, look in that industry for a project management role. So supply chain project manager. I work with a lot of teachers. If you're a teacher and you would want to become a project manager, look at learning and development type roles or education project manager roles or ed tech, education tech. It's big right now. And there's a lot of companies that hire teachers because they want people who have that industry experience. And so there's that pivot that you can make by leveraging what you already have in your tool belt. So always remember that you have an industry and you have a job title. So you have two things that you can leverage and work off of. And then you have transferable skills. So figuring that out and then revamping your resume cover letter and LinkedIn to really highlight those transferable skills and rebrand yourself for this new role or this new industry that you, this new pivot that you want to pursue. Ooh, okay. I I think that's good. I never thought of just look for the role you want in the industry you're already in. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's really great. Okay. So I want to do a quick rapid fire. So Mm -hmm. I want to ask you three questions and two scenarios. And then if you could just tell us how we can make those more corporate. Yep. Okay. So first question, I have way too much work, so I won't be able to add any more to my workload. I appreciate the opportunity, but unfortunately, my plate is quite full at the moment. I won't be able to take on any additional workload without sacrificing the quality of my current responsibilities. Ooh, okay. I like that one. So I am overwhelmed and I need help. Given my current workload and competing priorities, it would be very beneficial for me to add a resource to my project to help me manage the workload more efficiently. Okay. That is your job, not mine. So you should be doing that. While I'd love to help, this task doesn't fall under my area of expertise. (laughs) I like that one. I need to use that at work. Okay. So I have a scenario. When someone sends you a frantic email at the end of the day saying that something is urgent, and they want you to look at it right away, but you're about to log off, how can we respond? Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I understand that this issue is urgent and I will certainly take a look at this first thing in the morning. (laughs) The last scenario, you were in a meeting with senior leadership and someone asked you a question that you don't know the answer to. How can you respond? That's a great question. I don't have the answer right now, but I'll take note of it and follow up with you after the meeting with the information. I love that. So that's all the rapid fire, but I love that because a lot of times I think we just don't know how to say it the right way to get the response that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I actually do. I don't know if you've seen it. I actually do a Speaking Confidently series on TikTok. So I have it in my playlists and I have tons of those where it's like, you know, like 
something you think like managing your workload or requesting PTO, all of those different things and professional ways to phrase those. So that like has a lot of really great ones because sometimes it is hard to like think about how can we tweak this to be more professional and also to explain our goal because sometimes we want to just say like, yeah, I'll respond to the email, but there's a way you can respond that it's going to support your goal. Yeah, I I agree. And then I also feel like the way you respond can really sway the way the other person responds. So I think think that's super important. Okay, so I want to give you a chance to tell us about some of the services that you offer. Yeah, so I focus on project managers, but I also do resume writing as well. So project managers that are looking to grow their careers and maybe land a new role, maybe become more efficient or effective project managers. Maybe if you want to learn more about risk management or how to be more organized or how to uh, create better project plans. Those are all services that I offer. And then I also work with a lot of people who are more junior in their careers and they want to break into project management and they just don't know how to do that and navigate that. I have a whole program for that. So it's called the Project Management Career Blueprint. And we take you from where you are now to getting you to revamp your resume, rebrand yourself and landing a a job. So I really work with a lot of people who are looking to land project management jobs. And I've worked with hundreds of people at this point to do that. I love that. And I can just tell just from this hour that we spent together. Like you definitely have such an expertise in this. So it's very clear that you are doing what you are meant to be doing. So I love that you are helping all of these women out here. All right. So where can we go to find you on social media so that we can see your TikTok and Instagram and all the tips that you give? Yeah. So on TikTok, I'm at career coach Melissa. And on Instagram, my handle is at Melissa K Blackmore. And then you can also add me on LinkedIn, which is just my name. Melissa. Melissa Blackmore on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. And then do you have your courses? Are they linked or your programs? Are they linked on your social media accounts? Yes. They're in my link tree right now. The waitlist is closed for the Project Management Career Blueprint because I'm going through a cohort right now, but it'll be open in a month or so. I love it. Thank you so much, Melissa. I feel like I have learned so much, so I know my audience will too. Good. Thank you so much, Victoria. It was a pleasure. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, Grown Girl Gang.